0: Hello and welcome to the Peter Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. Well, it's budget week and I've cornered AMP Capital's chief economist Shane Oliver to see if Josh Frydenberg has gone mad as a big spender or has he given us the greatest gift giving budget ever? And was he right to do so? Shane Oliver and I pass judgment. And then we meet the co-founders of the $5 trade online stockbroker superhero. Who are these guys? And why are they disrupting the poor old stockbroking industry? That's the show. So without any further ado, let's catch up with Shane Oliver. Well, we've seen what I would call the greatest gift-giving budget of my lifetime and probably in the, in the lifetime of of the Australian economy. We might find that post-World War II the the giveaways were even greater. Um, But to test out whether these gifts are going to be any good for the economy and good for you and me, I've recruited the great Dr Shane Oliver from AMP Capital to give us his budget assessment. Shane, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. Great to be here. Now, I, I particularly created that alliteration for you, Shane, because you like unusual things like alliteration and colourful ties and Elvis Presley. Uh, the greatest. And I've got a colourful tie today. I bet you have. You can't see it. Send <laughs> us uh, so, so a um, a selfie. Greatest gift giving budget. I couldn't go gudget. No one would understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> but so, what do you reckon, Shane? Is this the greatest gift giving budget? Ever, it is.
1: I would say those words myself, but I'm sure I'll get tangled up on them as you almost <laughs> are. Um, but that's, uh, that's what it is. Yeah. It uh, it leaves the GFC, which was a massive uh, spend in the dust. The budget deficit in the GFC year uh, 2000, uh, that were the worst part of around 2009, was about 54 billion. This is now going to be in excess of 200 billion. As a share of GDP, it's more than double. Uh, and in fact if you look at the budget deficit you've really got to go back as you alluded to to world war ii and of course a lot of the deficit spending then was to finance the war effort or well, most of it was but in terms of uh handouts and spending it's uh it is the biggest one some might say well what about the 1930s well we didn't see much then the governments were a bit perverse back then they thought well the best thing we can do in the face of a hit to the economy is cut spending and maintain balanced budgets but that uh proved to be total lunacy and just made the Great Depression worse than it needed to be. But I think the government here has done the right thing in terms of the aggregate. That's the first thing an economist looks at, how much extra money has been pumped into the economy. This year, there's a whack of it. Uh, The extra stimulus that I calculate announced for this financial year in the budget was in excess of $40 billion, and that takes total stimulus this financial year to around $160 billion. And, of course, they announced more stimulus, more fiscal easing for next financial year, another $50 billion and another $20 billion the year after. So when the Treasurer says spend, spend, spend for jobs, 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 that's what he's doing here. He's not holding back. And I think that is precisely the right thing to do in this context.
0: Shane, some people, and because I work in the media, a lot of my colleagues always go for the what we should be scared about. And one thing they often bring out is, oh, how are we going to pay back all of this debt? And I use the analogy of, um, imagine there's a, a guy who's dedicated his entire life to eating the wrong food and he's miles overweight and he he's watching the cricket eating a pie at the MCG, has a heart attack and collapses and a person nearby jumps on top of him, starts doing cardiac heart massage to keep him alive and some idiot in the crowd yells out, put him on a low-fat diet. Well, that's kind of like a good idea after, but we've got to sort of save the patient. Is all this spending and the debt that's going, you know, uh, building up, the, the kind of thing we have to do to keep this patient alive and kicking? Well, I think it is.
1: It's. Uh, I mean, that's a great analogy. Another one is you've got a war on. Japanese and others wage war against you. Hmm. In World War II, um, of course, they're now our friends, things change around, but go back to World War Two. We had a war going on. The government could have said, well, uh, let's not worry about it. We've got to fight it to keep the budget balanced. We can't under- undertake this spending. Um, and of course, they had to. They had no choice, because yeah. were it not, we would have been in a bit of a pickle if, uh, if um, bad governments have taken over Australia and of
0: course. At we, least uh, we would have left right. left our books in good shape for the Japanese shame.
1: <laughs> That's right, and that would have got the benefit of it. So what's the point? <laughs> but uh, I, I reckon, you know, in top when times are good, fair enough, balance the budget, try and run a surplus for a rainy day. And Australia's done a bit of that over the years, maybe not as much as it could, but it's done more than most other countries. We got to a point where we need the money, need to do the spending. I mean we had a choice here back in March. We either just ignore it, you know, do what the US sort of does a lot of the time, you know, let lots of people die. We probably would have lost 15,000 extra people and they, of course, might be our loved ones. And I think that was a stupid, would have been a stupid decision to take to let that happen. So we decided, well, we have to shut the economy down, try and get ahead of this virus, which we've largely done, not perfectly, but we've saved a lot of people in the process. Rough estimate, about 15,000 people. Um, I think that's a great thing. But obviously the economy needed help because when you shut the economy down, you tell people to stay at home, they can't spend, tourists can't come, you don't have the travel industry, the students aren't going to university. So we've got to do things, foreign students, that is, we've got to do things to protect the economy. Now that we look, we seem to have got the virus under some sort of control, not perfectly, but under some sort of control, whether we get a vaccine next year or not, we still have to help the economy recover from that massive um, hit. And that, of course, is what the government's doing. I think if we didn't do that, then we would end up with a far worse economy. There'd be less revenue going into Canberra and we would have ended up with a worse budget deficit over the years ahead and even higher public debt simply because of a much smaller economy and we would have scarred a lot of people in the process. You know, this is the problem. We saw this in the early 90s and the early 80s, early in my career. You know, when people get unemployed and they then spend five years trying to get a job because there's no jobs out there... That scars them, Mm. and it impacts their whole life. Uh, And a whole bunch of issues flow from that. And I reckon that's it's really important to try and avoid that when you can. And we can. You know, the government's borrowing in Australian dollars. We're not borrowing in Swiss francs or US dollars or Chinese renminbi. We're borrowing in Aussie dollars. Um, Borrowers seem to be happy to give us the money, but it's all in Aussie dollars that we will pay back in Aussie dollars. So what the Aussie dollar exchange rate does is totally irrelevant. Secondly, they're borrowing it for a pittance. 0.25% for three years, 0.85% or thereabouts for 10 years, hardly anything. Um, And and thirdly, our level of public debt is quite low compared to other countries where net debt is a share of GDP is typically four times higher than it is in Australia. So I think it's something we had to do and it's something
0: we can do. Uh, You know, people like you and me are often fighting the Doomsday Merchants and the Doomsday Merchant um, criticism that was brought out pretty quickly was this is all based on a vaccine assumption. How safe do you think that vaccine assumption that underpins the budget is? Oh, 50, 50. And As an economist, you should know, Shane. I realise that... <laughs> well,
1: yeah, I mean, you look at all... You read all this stuff. It looks, looks like we're going to get a vaccine. Um, it looks more like It's going to be more like a, a flu vaccine in terms of efficacy as opposed to a measles vaccine. If you take a measles vaccine, you don't get measles. Mm my understanding. Anyway, if you take the flu vaccine, there's still some chance you might get the flu. But it will help in the process. I I think it's a reasonable assumption on the government's part to assume that some sort of control of coronavirus will come along. But it doesn't change the decisions the government had to take in terms of extra spending, measures to put money in the hands of households, measures to help pensioners and welfare recipients, measures to encourage investment. Whether there's a vaccine coming along or not, those things had to happen. And that's what they're doing. Mm. So I, I don't really think it changes things that much. It might change the time. If the vaccine doesn't come along or we spend the next few years in and out of lockdown, then, of course, uh, you know, the, the budget numbers themselves will look worse. But they would have still had to do the stimulus. And, of course, in that context, they have to do more stimulus.
0: Well, i got to say, as an economist and an expert on vaccines, we will definitely get a vaccine, whether it works brilliantly or not, but there'll be one there, I'm sure. Let's go I to think the, that's right. Let's go to the next question that the, the man in, and the woman in the street keep asking me is, okay, all this money is going out, but will we spend it? Well, that's right.
1: I mean, this is the funny thing. The media have these these uh, buttons you push, you know, tax cuts, oh, will we spend it, is it fair, blah, blah, blah. Um, are the assumptions okay? And then and you try and pull the budget apart and get as negative as you can mm. and then ignore the fact that the reality is that most groups in society are actually beneficiaries from the budget. Um, you know, when I'm thinking of the losers, it's only people who didn't get more stuff out of the budget. For example, job seekers aren't going to get anything extra out of the budget. But then again, they have been getting more lately. And I reckon there's a good chance that come the end of the year, the government will extend in some way the job seeker Supplement and make it more permanent. They might even get a job, Shane.
0: They might even get a job. Imagine that!
1: <laughs> That's amazing, and that will be because of the stimulus in the budget and low yeah. interest rates, all those sorts of things. But um, I think this government is known for uh, for drip feeding good news. Hmm. Why not? You know used to be in advertising. Yeah, why wouldn't you do that? Mm. Um, it, it makes some sense. So just because something wasn't in the budget doesn't mean that it's not going to be resolved by the end of the year. And I, I reckon there's a good chance that that job seeker number will be increased. But just in terms of the tax cuts, yeah, there's a good chance that some of it will be saved. But what, you've got to put it in context. The total stimulus being pumped into the economy this year is $160 billion. $160 billion. How much will it bring forward with the tax cut? Uh, cost in the context of that. Well, it's about, uh, depending on whose numbers you look at, it's always hard to go through, but it's somewhere else between 10 and $15 billion. So it's it's only a small portion of the total budget stimulus. It's part of the package. The other aspect is you could say, well, let's give more, rather than do that, we'll just give one-off handouts to people. The trouble with one-off handouts is that many people will say, oh, it's just a one-off. Yeah, fair enough. I've got an extra $500 or $1,000, but I'm probably not going to get it again, so I'll, I'll more likely save it. Uh, whereas if you know that that extra $1,000 or $2,000, which is what the tax cuts amount to, depending on your income level, um, is permanent, then you're more likely to spend some of it. So that's important. The other aspect is that when you look at the percentage benefit, the percentage boost to after-tax income is much higher for lower lower middle income than it is for higher income. Owners. The higher income owners may get get their, their uh, big cut in a couple of years' time, 20, or four years' time, 2024. So they've got a while to wait before they get that. But these tax cuts mainly impact, as a percentage of income, lower- and middle-income earners, and they're the ones who tend to save less out of their income. So when you when you see it in that context, part of the package mm. that it's permanent, therefore more likely, this, and I think it's justified. The other thing is, uh, this is a, a liberal gov- liberal national government. They're traditionally conservative they're doing things that no one would have imagined mm. prior to coronavirus. Yeah. You know, we, we like, I like what the, the Labor government did in the time of the GFC. I think it was the right thing. Yeah. Um, but we often thought, well, what happens if the same thing comes along under a Liberal National government? Well, they do it, and it looks like they will. They throw ideology out the window and do do what is needed for the economy. But of course, they're, trying to get, they're going to get some of their policies through, and of course, the tax cuts were part of that. So that's the way I would say it. Yeah, part of it we be save, but don't get your knickers into a huge knot on this because it's only a small portion of the overall stimulus, and permanent boost to income is better than temporary boost.
0: Shane, another thing I often say to people when they say, well, you know, how are we going to get out of this? And I say, well, we, we spent about $65 billion because of Yuppies like you know, Shane Oliver and me going overseas, you know, the punsy places like a minute.
1: just look- a minute here. <laughs> Didn't Alex the, the cartoon character in the film Reviews from the nineteen eighties who were and yuppies
0: by oh.
1: drive a BMW? Here? I drive a
0: Holden. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> By I
1: definition:
0: know. you can't be a yuppie and drive a Holden. Yeah, but you just do it to to make yourself look different. Those those ties you wear, they're very yuppie ties, Shane. And <laughs> and, and the like, and to actually like Elvis Presley, that shows that you you kind of have a a uniqueness about you. But okay, let's say not you. But you know, there's a whole lot of yuppies out there uh, who do, and I'm one of them. That goes overseas a lot. We can't go overseas now. I'm finding myself at Bunnings on Saturday morning, like I never used to go to Bunnings. But we're fixing up the garden now, you know, and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) And the garden's looking terrific, I've got to say. And I'm I'm starting to look like a Greek god because I'm so fit. But throwing (laughs) all, uh, let's ignore all (laughs) that stuff. Uh, Not really possible. (laughs) I, I I can be a dreamer at times. The bottom line is then a lot of this money that. Once upon a time was spent in national hotels and restaurants and airlines and whatever is being spent at home. That's gonna be a, a sleeper positive for the economy, surely.
1: It is. It's a huge positive. This is the thing most people don't get. They think, Oh, the borders are closed, therefore no tourists are coming, we're all ruined. You know, if somebody's gonna ruin us, maybe that'll ruin us. Um, and they forget the fact that um, we lose more from Australians going overseas each year, each month, whenever. Um, than foreigners coming here. We tend to stay overseas for longer and we tend to spend more overseas than foreigners do when they come to Australia. So we actually run, despite some dodgy numbers coming out of the monthly stats, look at the quarterly numbers, we run a trade deficit. It used to be about 1% of GDP, trade deficit in tourism. So if the borders are closed, and Donald Trump told us a few years ago, if you stop your trade in an area where you've got a trade deficit, you actually benefit. You know, that money that you, or even me, I'll admit to that, when you go overseas, that money you spend overseas, you spend in Australia, whether it's at is one of my uh, favourite places to go to is Bunnings or Flower Power, but we shouldn't really be doing ads here, Petty, but you introduced <laughs> This is not the
0: ABC, mate. We can do as many ads no, as we no, no, like. No, 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 I, no. I'm hoping Bunnings will sponsor this in the end, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: okay. But anyway, they're, they're things that, that I do and I've done more of because mm. you know I've only had, uh, well, the only holiday I've had this year. I've had two, one to Byron Bay and one to the Blue Mountains, But both- Great places to go to it So you spend the money locally yeah. And uh, if the borders open up more Then you spend more locally That's actually a benefit to the economy um, Which doesn't get a lot of mention in the media um, But it is You know This this travel ban As far as tourists go Could ultimately be more of a benefit to Australia uh, Than a, than a loss. Mm-hmm.
0: Well mate We are out of time But it's good to see that um, You're giving this b- budget a thumbs up I've, I've been asked give it a mark out of 10, what would you give it?
1: The focus was all on supporting the economy, so I'd give it 9 out of 10. You know, as an economist, you can never go to
0: 10 out of 10. No, no. I I did exactly the same on Ben Fordham's show this morning. 9 out of 10. Didn't have the guts to give a 10 out of 10. (laughs) Shane Oliver, AMP Capital, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Peter. And that was Dr. Shane Oliver from AMP Capital. Well, it's ad time. And this time, the Switzer Financial Group is pleased to bring you the Virtual Switzer Investor Strategy Day. Now, it's on Tuesday the 20th and Wednesday the 21st of October, so it's coming up soon. Held virtually via Zoom and hosted by myself, The two-day conference will give investors access and insight from some of Australia's best investors and fund managers. You'll have an opportunity to hear from these top fund managers to understand how they are investing right now in these unprecedented times. The day will deliver information through idea-driven and educational sessions from the fund managers who share insights on how they are investing right now and what their thoughts are about the future. These sessions will be followed by a roundtable panel discussion. The audience will also have an opportunity to ask questions via Zoom to get a deeper understanding of how these experts are investing. I'm also very pleased to announce that we will also be joined on the day by the Treasurer of Australia, the Honourable Josh Frydenberg. He'll be sharing his plans and insights into how he's going to lead us out of this recession it's going to be a great day and i hope you can join us it's tuesday the 20th and wednesday the 21st of october so actually there are two great days go to eventbrite.com.au and type in switzer investor strategy day to secure your tickets one more time go to eventbrite one word .dot ecomau and type in switzer investor strategy day to secure your tickets Well, joining me on the Peter Switzer podcast show is John Winters and Wayne Bascom, the co-founders of Superhero. Guys, thanks for joining us on the program.
2: Thanks for having us here today, Peter.
0: It's a pretty non-ostentatious name, Superhero. So I should explain to our listeners, in case you don't know, Superhero is a stock-breaking business. Uh, John, tell us about it
2: yeah so we 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 launched about a month ago after two and a half years of of development, and effectively we we're, we're a share trading platform that allows you to invest in all uh, Australian shares at a flat fee cost of five dollars yeah. and all Australian ETFs with no brokerage fees.
0: Yeah, okay. Wayne, why did you call it superhero?
2: look it's it's an interesting one. Um,
3: when we looked at the market and we were thinking, what are we trying to do here, we were trying to make shares accessible to people, people that maybe want to trade or currently don't trade. And we wanted them to be in control of what they do. We wanted them to be the superhero. We wanted them to be able to control their finances. And it was just born from that. And we didn't come up with the name. One of John's friends actually came up with the
2: name, but it came out of that thinking. What was
0: the the, uh, work in progress name? You must have had one.
2: It was actually superhero actually came up right at the beginning, yeah, and I okay. said I've got this great idea. What? Who's uh, he's a creative, a creative guy, a designer, and um, I said, "What should we call this thing?" And he said, oh, it sounds like a superhero." I said, "That's it," and he said, "He said, What What's it?'" I said, "Superhero. That's the name," and it and it and it just went from there.
0: Yeah, it's got a great cut through. That's for sure. All right, so but people would be wondering, yeah, know, um, are people so? Impoverished that they need the five dollar trade when I figure they're going to at least trade for $500. So, talk us through the need for it to be a five dollar trade, yeah, sure. So, and be honest because oh we know what digital disruptors are all about, can't yeah.
2: It? So, I, I was a stockbroker for. for- thirteen or fifteen years, started at, at Shaw Stockbroking down down the road on Castle Ray Street and yep. and um, ended up at Shore and Partners um, a, a few years later after a couple of stints, one at Macquarie and, and another firm, a smaller firm. And um, we we charged one percent to trade. So, you know, people would come and buy fifty thousand dollars worth of stock and it'd be five hundred dollars to trade or or a hundred K worth of stock. We'd charge them a thousand dollars. And we've seen those rates come down. In some areas of the market, depending on what sort of client you are and, and who, who's doing the trades. But it was when ComSec really sort of launched into the market and, and online share trading disrupted the market by bringing it down to yeah, 20 Probably the greatest 20 disrupting bucks.
0: business in the history of Australia. And they never get identified as a disruptor, but they were. And I know Paul Rico, who's my business partner, he won Stockbroker of the Year, not long after, but was booed off the stage yeah. by all the, the normal stockbrokers. They didn't like the fact yeah. what he'd, he'd done. He'd go- no, and
2: they've built a terrific business. and And we did some research about the the rise of Comsec over over their journey. And I think it was 1999. There were a million share trading accounts in Australia, and they had over 600 thousand of them. So you know, terrific, terrific growth and and um, market share. Um, but they really came in and and disrupted the market with twenty dollar share trades. Mm. And then it's interesting to see what's happening in the U.S. where brokerage has been commoditized. To, there's, a, there's a race to the bottom and yeah, it's gone to zero. Some,
0: some are zero, that's right.
2: So there's an expectation that if you're paying to trade, you're paying too much because zero is what you can pay elsewhere. And there's there's a couple of U.S. share trading platforms in, in Australia that it's free brokerage. Yeah. Um, so... The, the Australian market has got a very different setup with the ASX market integrity rules, the, the way people trade, and the cost structures as well. Yeah. So we weren't able to make it free for, for all share trading, um, but five dollars, we, we are able to build a, a successful business at, at scale, yeah. and the efficiencies that we get through our technology, we're able to pass on to our customers.
0: Okay, so um, I guess the next question is, how do you make your money there? five dollars. You you've kind of implied that if you could do zero you would do zero, but you're doing five. How are you gonna make your money?
2: So we've got <laughs> <laughs> uh, John can I'll answer think, that, yeah. I'll I'll I'm think, the tech guy, I'm the product oh, John, okay. John's so you're finance the finance guy, guy. So. Right. so so the ASX has got charges um, that they charge to market participants and the market participants charge us. So there's you know, there's a there's a there's a middleman between us and, and the ASX. And the pricing structure is is X dollars per contract note effectively, and the the going to the ASX? Is yes. That, okay. So so whenever you generate a contract note or you're settling stock to a to a hin, there's there's a there's a fixed dollar fee that that we get charged. And um, if if you have say a thousand different hins and everyone trades a thousand BHP for the day. You're settling a thousand you're settling a thousand trades of, of a thousand BHP at a time. The structure that we've been able to set up is is actually a highly regulated structure. It's more regulated than than a standard share trading account, mm-hmm. where we've actually got a custodian sitting in the background. Mm-hmm. And it allows us at the end of each day, so during the day, everyone trades, they get their individual prices and buy their individual shares. And at the end of the day, we settle one contract note for the bulk amount of each stock that traded for the day to the to the to the hin. So you're saving money in there, in thereby getting charged that fee only once, mm. and that's how we then pass on. So then we pass on those efficiencies to our customers by charging five dollars.
0: But w- wouldn't your custodian broker have to do that? Yes, do for the, for the other nine hundred and ninety.
2: So they take that. They take the thousand trades mm. and they compress it all into one. Into one contract note and settle it onto a single hin
0: because because they are a broker and they can do that
2: correct so they're the market participant so we so we've partnered with open markets to be able to uh, we've engaged with them to to be able to uh, allow this product to to function yeah. um, and and they've supported us through setting up this so what
0: you're saying at this point in time then your profit and of course digital companies don't make profits anyway we know in fact you make profits there's something wrong with you um, but. The $5 trade and the efficiencies as such, are you making a, a small profit at this point in time?
2: So so let's, I can't, I can't divulge the, the exact okay. cost, but let's say it cost us $5 to trade BHP. Mm-hmm. If you bought BHP today, would basically, it'd sort of, it'd cover the cost. Mm-hmm. But if the three of us bought BHP today, there'd be $15 worth of revenue. Mm-hmm. We'd pay the $5 to settle the trade mm-hmm. and there'd be $10 worth of, Gross profit, which would then go into the business, so the business really starts to work at scale, um, and, and that's that's what we've started to see. I think so. Just to
3: add to that, I think the key there is that we need the scale to cover all those fixed costs that you've got—the staff, their employment, the marketing, all of those kind of costs. You know, the gross profit on the trades is there, and it'll be there from the beginning. That's our business model shows that. But it's once you get that scale that it really starts to, to leverage.
0: Yeah, even your simple example of you know three becomes fifteen makes sense um w- will you also have a valuable database and advertise the database because i always presume robin hood would be being american in particular they're probably even flogging cars like you've made money on the market here go and buy yourself a cadillac i can imagine the americans doing that not that so you,
2: you would do that yeah. but why wouldn't you well, I mean, there's, there's strict privacy laws here, and, and you know we we see our customers as being you know very valuable to to our business, yeah. and we certainly wouldn't give that away. Yeah. Um, but even, you could advertise.
0: Even, you, could, you could advertise ETFs and all that sort of stuff on there, couldn't you?
2: Yeah. Look, I think there's there's certainly going to be an opportunity to to partner with the ETF providers to to talk about their products and really lift. The education of those products. Yeah. Um, we we don't have any any sort of paid partnerships with the ETFs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, potentially in the future we could run sort of co marketing campaigns with them. But the only marketing that we do is is to to uh, bring customers onto the platform rather than using their data.
0: Okay, so so far so good. It sounds great. What are the, what are the downsides of the custodial? arrangement you've got and let's face it your enemies would be underlining it and telling people all the time so so what are the potential downsides and how are you guys dealing with it
2: so so certainly the 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 competitors are uh talking about us and it's really interesting to see them talking about us because comsec has the same sort of structure um you can set up an account and get an individual in with them but comsec have a nominee or a custody structure um, so does CMC Markets. So does Shoren Partners. Um, you know, pretty much every market. Why do you explain to our has, audience at this
0: point, time we might lose some people. Give the example of someone having an individual hin and your custodial arrangement.
2: Yeah, So to to simplify the the, the structure, I guess if you have an individual hin when you buy shares chess the ASX chess system settles those shares onto your your hin or, or an SRN yeah. um, and and those shares either sit with a with a market participant a broker yeah. or they sit with a share registry and the share registry then handles things on your behalf like corporate actions so we talk computer share computer share link market services mm-hmm. these sorts of companies yeah. and and the companies communicate with their shareholders via those registries. Yeah. The structure that we've set up is is as I said, it's a it's a highly regulated one, um, and there's there has been a, there has been um, quite a polarizing effect in the market due to due to it, um, and you know there's been there's- you
0: are charging less money, and they would hate you for <laughs> it.
2: Go on, exactly, and you know there, there's been there's been some spe- spectacular. Um, uh, falls across a couple of companies in the past during the gfc and more recently with with um, a market participant falling over Um, regulation has changed significantly since then so so the structure that we've set up is is a custody or a nominee structure Um, it's a special purpose vehicle that has regulated regulatory capital set aside it has no operations it holds shares in bear trust on behalf of customers, and customers get all of the the, the uh, beneficial ownership and, and entitlements that they would as a shareholder, as if they held. It's just an indirect a, link, isn't it? it? It it is from a legal sense. Like if you're really looking at the legal sense, it is a it is a an indirect ownership.
0: A bit like ETFs. Like when I go into an ETF, I, I I suspect, and I've been told that they actually do buy the shares. Yeah. And if anything went wrong, the the ETF investors would have access to those shares. And there's a trust arrangement. So I, I guess in many it's, ways. It's very similar. It's really yeah. very similar.
2: And it's also similar to, to how the, the US share trading platforms have come up as well. And and whether you... Like Robin Hood, you mean? No, like stake... Um, so I know Self Wealth is about to launch US as well. Um, but even if you were trading US shares through the likes of Partners mm. and Partners and you had an account through Pershing, nice. Pershing actually sets up and they've got their own Pershing nominees, mm. and all of your US assets are held in a nominee account. Mm. So this structure is very um, widely used overseas. It's been road tested before. It, it has, and, and it's now becoming more popular in Australia.
0: Yeah. I, I guess. Yeah, I'm. I'm always asking the devil's advocate questions because my people who are listening say, "Why switch Switzer ask that question?" Um, the, another question: Ultimately, there's a broker who's doing the trades for you. Now, what if that broker went broke? Yeah, you know, and we saw in Melbourne, I think, was a company called Opus Prime they had problems. I think there's been another company that's had problems. Are Are you, in a sense, vulnerable to the to the broker who's Doing the the custodial work for you,
2: yeah. So Opus Prime, Opus Prime is one that's come up a couple of times. They yeah, are right. substantially different to our business. They are a margin lending business. They were lending stock out. They were
0: a broker as well, weren't they? Yeah, yeah,
2: they were, but they were using clients' assets as collateral to get additional funding for their business, which were they, yeah. they were yeah. using for yeah. it's a completely different, different completely yeah. different yeah. story. Yeah. Um, I think I think ultimately, you know, there certainly would be. Um, there wouldn't necessarily be loss if a broker fell over. All the assets are held with Chess um, and, and the ASX would move and ASIC would move very quickly.
0: And they would be linked to ultimately the investor.
2: Correct. And and through our structure, we do have all of those, all of all client assets um, sitting with Chess. And then all of the reporting and processes that we've got are regularly audited and and regulated.
0: Okay so um what are the things that people are going to discover working with you that's better and we'll get get wayne to say something yeah, yeah sure it's you. been like a bit of a tennis yeah. match here yeah, well, 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 yeah, yeah. It, given the fact that you are the technical guy yeah. what, what is going to be so technically positive about the superhero experience
3: well i think the full experience what we you know we focus on the customer we focus on the user and everything we do is for that user so the way you the way the whole platforms you know you interface with the platform the way you use the the app and the site and um, all the automation that we've got in there so as soon as your shares trade you're getting an sms to tell you it's traded you, you can instantly deposit funds in i don't i think we're the only in the only one in the market who you can instantly deposit funds in using paid. id yeah. um, and you know we've had to work around a lot of you know the, the way the banks work and build a pretty complex system to be able to make that work and it's been one of the biggest things people have said to us is that I can sign up and I can deposit funds and be trading today. You know, you know, I don't have to wait for the market to open. Um, and then the way we deal with corporate actions as well, you know, just because you know, you're in this, this nominee structure, you've still got access to all the corporate actions. And we've automated all of that. We don't have a room of 200 people who are you know, dealing with all the corporate actions. It's all automated, you'll get an email, you'll be able to digitally
2: you know, nominate. What
0: if um, there's a share purchase plan or- rights issue
2: i had the same i had the same question uh, for the lawyers and 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 with ASIC um when we were setting the structure up and there's been a lot of ga- engagement around around the the regulations on this and and my question was if we had a hundred people holding cba shares and they did a share purchase plan could could all hundred people participate and the corporate, the 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 Corporations Act was the book was opened up and said, "See here, right there, it it actually allows for for share purchase plans under custody and nominee structures, where individual shareholders under those structures can participate. So if we had a hundred or a thousand people who are all entitled to participate in in a share purchase plan, they could all participate as individuals, not as a single entity under our custody." You're
0: saying so, therefore, if 752 wanted to and the others
2: didn't they could all take up their you know the maximum on an spp in australia is thirty thousand dollars they could all take up their thirty thousand dollar entitlement subject to to company scalebacks and that sort of thing
0: reinvestment plans that's another one i guess just comes to mind
2: yeah so so dividends cash dividends are all are all automated through the through the platform Mm -hmm. And later this month, we'll roll out the functionality to, to um, allow you to participate in DRPs as well. So you'll be able to select that as an option and your shares will be credited back to your account. When so
0: Wayne, are we saying that even though there may well be some negotiations based on the fact that the question never been asked before, you envisage that everything that's being done with a normal broker eventually will be Doable with you guys, with maybe a slightly different pathway, but the, but the outcome will be the same.
3: Yeah, definitely. Look, I come. I think the benefit I've got. I come from a different world. You know, I come from an e-commerce. I come but, from a, yeah. a technical background. You South African. And, and I, I come when I was three. When I was three <laughs> so years old, okay. World. But that's a different world. <laughs> so I'm, I'm Australian. Um, yeah but i think i come at all of this and say yes we can you know yeah. john's the one who challenges it and says but but what about this have you thought about this and i'm like well if you tell me all the all the variables and everything we'll make the technology happen yeah. and we have to date been able to you know do everything that's been needed yeah. um, and i don't see why not you know i think there's always an automated way to do everything you can yeah. um so we can do it
0: okay so you've been going for 4 weeks um, what's the publicity been like Have you, been getting, you know a, a lot of exposure and what have been the um, the customer enrollments.
2: Yeah. So the 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 media exposure that we've got has been fantastic. I mean, it, it's really increasing
0: sort of, the hate by the by the, the incumbents. In yeah. The there's there's
2: yeah. it's polarizing. Yeah. You know, some some people love it, and, and particularly like whoever, you know, our customers whoever, our, are, are, they are loving it. Up the same yeah.
0: same deal. Yeah.
2: yeah. And the taxi industry—I mean, the the broking industry—is—is is, uh, was, <laughs> was a bit I was a bit low. Right. Um, you know, they're they're sort of you know questioning how you're doing it and and looking at um, looking at our structure and things with with. Um, you know, I think yeah, I, there may be a bit of a bit of jealousy. Of course, there would be. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're just, we're just trying to make an, an awesome product that resonates with the market. There aren't many so.
0: disruptors in the world who actually get a, a very favourable treatment when they turn up and do the disrupting. No matter what area, whether it be business or life or whatever. Okay, so um, what's the plan going forward? How big can this be?
2: I'd like to see us, you know, increase market share sizably. Um, you know people people and and the media are suggesting that it's it's just millennials signing up and and, and trading small amounts. The data that we're seeing is certainly not telling us that. It's the thirty five to forty five year olds. Mm-hmm. And over the first couple of weeks, we were starting to see some of the day trading stocks be the most popular on the platform. We're starting to see the top twenty and top fifty shares really take take up the the, the top holdings across across the customer base. So I think we can. I think we really can build build market share and and you know be a be a sizable player in in the space.
0: What happens when? Because you know the unfortunate thing about the disruption industry, there's a whole lot of copycats out there. Well, in the four dollar trade. Team comes on the same. What are you going to do there? that? Look, I,
3: I, we know how long it's taken us to get where we are. We know how long it's taken us to build the platform to be able to do it. If, if some of the, the incumbents there want to cut their prices, which I don't think they're, they're going to, they've got shareholders and, and whatnot to answer to. Um, but if they want to, you know, I, I, we don't mind. It's just going to bring more people in and we're all going to rise together. So if more people are, are coming in and we're, we're doing what we want to do, which is disrupt and to bring down the price of trading, make trading more accessible, then... I think we've kind of accomplished that and we'll keep growing. Uh,
0: Are you staggered at the rise of interest from millennials, younger people in particular, in in the stock market? And do you think it's partly linked to the fact that buying a house is really impossible nowadays? Uh,
2: I I think so. And I think think millennials are smarter than everyone gives them credit for. Um, you know, I'm I'm a millennial. We we know what we, we want. No, we no, know how things work. We don't think work. you guys
0: are dumb. You're just annoying brats at <laughs> yeah. times. That's all. <laughs> at times. We, at times. We love you as sons and daughters, but you're just some bloody brats. But you're you're smart. But go on. <laughs> um, the,
2: there's been there's been a huge rise in in the micro investing platforms. Um, you know the the rise of Acorns and Rays and and Spaceship. You know they, these are these are big platforms that have. That have uh, attracted hundreds of thousands of customers just in Australia, mm-hmm. and I feel like their their client base has gone to there because they may have felt locked out by the, the share trading community mm-hmm. um, with minimum five hundred dollar investment amounts um, and you know twenty dollars to trade those sorts of amounts. You know, mm-hmm. I think that could become a hindrance um, and, and it's created friction where they could go to the these micro investing apps and it and it's almost like it's almost free um, there's no sort of sizable fees yeah. so i think i think by dropping our fees to where we are we are seeing you know th- those customer bases moving across and i think i think that is attracting more millennials into the broader investment sphere
0: mm-hmm. is there a minimum dollar amount that people have to get to to play ball with you guys
2: we you can start investing with us from a hundred dollars uh which which is is, which
0: is lower than the incumbents isn't it Mm -hmm.
2: and it's it's due to our structure so a marketable parcel with the asx is five hundred dollars um we've got pretty much every every stock in the market on the platform so we we um we don't have those those um those issues
0: Mm -hmm. i i feel a bit guilty about you know um being critical of millennials because I was um, the first finance guy on Triple M in 1987. I think Ross Greenwood then went to Two Day FM and and the Melbourne equivalent Fox, um, and so. I was teaching probably your parents' money on Triple M and you were probably sitting in the car going to school listening to all the stuff about money yeah. and then Paul Clitheroe came along and did the money show which you guys probably watch as kids say, oh, my parents are watching this boring money show. So we've conditioned you guys to be money interested and I think that's part of the reason why you are. Yeah. yeah.
3: But I think it's breeding a new generation. I think that's yeah. the, what it is. It's it's teaching them and breeding us you know, a new generation Whereas the opposite would be let's lock everyone out of the investment market, let's lock everyone out of property. As it used to be. And, right? and then let these people just grow up and not know about money, not know about investing and then, you know, what happens then? What happens when, when that whole generation's grown up?
0: Do you have plans eventually to have, you know, information and education and all that sort of stuff? Because when people are turning up, it's not only a matter of them doing the job, you've got a relationship, I guess, you're having a whole lot of content yeah.
3: I think the first way we went was we said, well, let's put the warnings up. So we've got, you know, you come in and there's a warning, you're in an investment, it's not a game, all of those yeah. kind of things.
2: The, the, the risk of capital losses are real, you know, yeah. and you have, to, you have to accept that before you can go on and start uh, investing. But then, yes, that's but, really important. Then
3: the next step to that is then, but let's educate them. Let's put the right data in front of them that they, would, that they need to see. You know, a lot of the time they don't even know what they need to see and explain to them why that data is important. To be looking at for a company yeah, so. yeah, yeah.
0: And, and we've known we've seen that lots of um, sites you know actually attract people by the fact that there is education there as well anyway guys good luck um thank you. i know there are people out there listening to this who are colleagues of mine working for conventional stockbroking groups with hate me being nice to you but <laughs> i'm not being paid to be horrible to anyone so good luck with it and um let's hope you do well
2: it's great to be here thank, thank you very uh, much
0: and that's the show for today. Thanks for joining us. One quick reminder, if you do want to go to our Investor Strategy Day on Tuesday the 20th and Wednesday the 21st of October, go to Eventbrite, and that bright is b-r-i-t-e.com.au and type in Switzer Investor Strategy Day to secure your tickets. Thanks for joining me. See you next week. Britain time! Britain time. <laughs>